please remain standing for the um, reading of the scripture. It is from Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This reading is, this finishes the reading of the word for this morning. This morning, as we continue our journey, we've entitled Operation Christmas Child, The Work of God to Bring the Savior to This World and All the Attending Circumstances. We celebrate this foundational truth that everyone can meditate on the meaning of Christmas like Mary because love came down at Bethlehem. In other words, unless this really happened, unless this miracle of all miracles, the miracle C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle, really occurred, we would have no reason to be here. We'd have nothing to meditate on. We would not have the joy and peace that is meant to come to us in this season. But sometimes we can find it elusive. Each year, in a way, during Advent and Christmas season, we we worry or we wonder about how we're going to get to Bethlehem this year. And what I mean by that is get to that space and place where we recognize God's love is for us and that Jesus came for us. It's not just about the warmth of the lights. Bethlehem is that place where God came to us through the birth of a child so that we know we are loved and we're drawn into a place of mystery and wonder far removed from the ordinary world in which we live. That space and place where angels populate the sky and may appear at any time to shepherds in the fields where God's love and his revelation, his revealing can enter into our circumstances each and every day. For even though a foreign king and an oppressive uh, tax structure existed when Jesus came, there's this space and place in Bethlehem, at the manger, in the inn, where there was no room, where Jesus could only find room out in a stable. And that is the wonder of God's love for us. But it's a love we sometimes lose sight of in the midst of the challenges of life or even some of the busyness of this Christmas season. About uh, in 2020, uh, actually about a month before the pandemic broke out, I got the chance to go and visit uh, Israel. It was, a, you know, obviously one of those uh, lifelong desires, 
and kind of a pilgrimage of sort. Uh, my good friend Seth and another friend Brad were leading a tour, and uh, I was told if I went on a tour, I could lead a tour as a pastor in the future, which I still plan to do, and bring our congregation for those who want to go. And for me at the time, it was one of those times where I sort of needed to just see and experience these events. I knew that they happened. I believe in my heart that they happened. But going to Israel and witnessing firsthand these spaces and places was a new revelation for me. I remember one experience where a guide was saying, well, you know, they think this could have been where, you know, the angel announced to Mary that that she was going to have the child. And so they built a church here, the Church of the Annunciation. But, you know, there's another church in town where where they think it could have happened and it might have happened over there. And as this guide is saying, well, you know, it could have this and that, he paused for a second. And a lady happened to be walking by and she heard this tour guide and she just started yelling out, it happened! It happened! None of this, it might have happened. It happened! And friends, we need to be reminded that it happened. Because sometimes we have a hard time just getting there in our own lives to that space of peace and joy. For the various characters that surround the Christmas story, getting to Bethlehem was challenging in its own way. Matthew tells us about the Magi who were directed by their great learning and their interpretation of the stars and that got them to Bethlehem. Luke, whoever focuses on Mary and Joseph having to travel to Bethlehem as a family to fulfill the requirement as a result of Herod's desire to collect taxes and take a census. All these roads led these people to Bethlehem. The shepherds had the announcement of the angels that drew them, as Greg will talk about more last week, next week. But each one of us have our own sort of paths in getting to that place of worship in Bethlehem, to worship Jesus as our newborn Savior. Perhaps for you it was reading the Word of God yourself and coming to the realization that this is true and it is for you. Perhaps for you, it's singing the songs of the season, hearing worship, songs that have the rich theology behind what occurred, and that is what draws you in. Perhaps it was somebody witnessing to you of the truth and depth of God's love for you that you did not or were not aware of before. Well, what we celebrate as we move closer and closer to Christmas is the story of our Savior's birth, and a new kind of king was born in Bethlehem. That people moved at the orders of Caesar Augustus, but in reality, they were moving at the order and the instrumentation of God. And that God's word never goes void. His promises are ultimately fulfilled. In the story before us this morning, we are told that love came down into a specific place, to a person, and to fulfill a prophecy. That place was first Nazareth in Galilee where the angel went and announced to Mary that she would give birth to a child, though she was a virgin. Notice that Gabriel passes over Judea, passes over Jerusalem, passes over the temple, the places we might think that God would announce his Savior's, his son's birth. But instead, he comes to Galilee. As we looked at a few weeks ago in Isaiah 9-1, Galilee was talked about, Galilee of the Gentiles. It was overrun, literally, by other peoples, nations. Jews were actually a minority in that part of the country at the time. And as a result, it was just despised space and place. But that was the very place that God chose to come. 
Nazareth stood on a hillside, and at the foot of the hill ran a great highway between Tyre and Sidon and Jerusalem. So Roman soldiers passed through, and Greek merchants, and Greek travelers, and Jewish priests. But it was a foothill town with about 15,000 people in population. Does that sound familiar? It should. Populations about at Nazareth at the time was about the population of Grass Valley and Nevada City, at least in the inner cities. We live in a foothill town. A space and place that can seem far removed from the busyness of Sacramento and other bigger places that people tend to attend to. And I got a feel for this when I got to travel to uh, Israel. Uh, This is the Church of the Annunciation where they believe the angel came and announced to Mary uh, that she would give birth to the Savior in a Christmas tree that is up 365 days of the year, not just during Christmas season. This is the tree in Bethlehem Square where they believe Jesus was born. If you could fast forward to, this was just a picture I took. It was on one of the walls as I was traveling through Nazareth, and I just loved it, okay? I love Nazareth, good news. And then the other picture I wanted to show was just of a city street in Nazareth today. And you can see that it starts to go up, and the light that's kind of just under the tree is at the top of the town. And as you know, I'm a runner, and one way I get a feel for a town is to run a town. And I got a feel for the fact that it's certainly a hill country. I was out of breath by the time I got to the top of the hill that night. But it gave me just a little bit of a feel of what it might have been like. That night that Jesus came, and all that Jesus did to orchestrate, all God did to orchestrate Jesus' coming. And I want to think about the love that was behind that, a love that came to Nazareth, a love that was ultimately born in Bethlehem, but a love that is so powerful that we can ultimately fail to fully comprehend it. I mean, just think, if God is love, as we're told in 1 John, if love is central to his character, and Jesus is God incarnate, then love becomes incarnate in Mary's womb. She is literally filled with love. And if the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, of of who God is, and he comes into our hearts and lives, we are literally filled with love, meant to be filled with love. Mary was a person that we might, again, think would not likely to be chosen. She was young, poor, a female, all characteristics to the people of her day would make her unlikely to be chosen for such an amazing task. But God chose to fill her with his love and his person nonetheless because God is able and God's choices are often you know uh, ones that we don't quite understand at the Annunciation there's a famous painting of the Annunciation of the angel to Mary you can see her kind of looking fearfully wondering this great light the angel announcing that she would be the mother of our savior The fact that love came down to a place like Nazareth, kind of like our town, to a place like Mary, a person like Mary who we could think of as unlikely and, and we might think of ourselves as unlikely. We also can think about love coming down to fulfill a prophecy. Prophecy not only that Jesus would ultimately live in Galilee of the Gentiles, be born of a virgin, but he would become the one who would fulfill the promises of the prophets to David, that he would always have one on the throne. Jesus as a descendant of David, literally fulfilled God's promise in such a way that we can see and believe that we now have one on the throne of heaven that we can turn to whenever we're in need. 
when we wonder where the love of God is present or how he's active in our lives, we can know and trust that Jesus being born into this world and having lived and died on the cross and ascended to heaven is one in heaven we can turn to who loves us and cares about us. As I was praying about who to have light the Advent candle of love today, the idea of having the worship prayer team emerged because they're a conduit of God's love for us, prayerfully. And often there are those times where we're wondering about God's love and how that's going to be manifest. And allowing a member of the worship prayer team to pray for us can be that, that dawning of love or that reminder of how loved we are. The warmth of a hand on our side as somebody lays hands on us and prays for us. One who carries a burden with us as God now carries all our burdens ultimately in his son. Love came down that day to a particular place, to a person, to fulfill a particular prophecy. But particularly, love came down to Mary, who was highly favored of God, or was said to have found favor with God. Now, you know, the Catholic stream of Christianity would, would kind of point to then Mary's merits. She, was, she had found favor because she was just that good, just that pure, just that innocent. But the emphasis in the scripture is that Mary found favor with God because she was going to be shown God's grace. It was God's grace and mercy for her using somebody like her who was unlikely that leads to her being favored. She wasn't favored because she was perfect. She wasn't favored because, you know, of something in her ultimately. She was favored by God because of how great and how good God is. And if that is true... And if God shows each of us grace through his son, Jesus Christ, and if this work of God through Mary was accomplished by grace or favor, then each and every one of us can see ourselves as people whom God favors, who God loves, who God is willing to show grace to. Mary was endowed with grace. The Lord was with her. But if you have a relationship with God, you've accepted God and the Holy Spirit is alive and active in your life, the same could be said of you. God favors you. He delights in you. He loves you. Beth had gone to bed. I was putting the finishing touches on the sermon, and my two boys just could not go to bed last night. I mean, it was just this brother fight argument. Who got in the bathroom first? You know, you used my this. You touched that. Get out of my room, Levi. I want to go to sleep. And it was one of those times where I was ready to go to bed, and I was done. <laughs> and, it, and I yelled down twice, guys, cut it out. We need to go to sleep. Church in the morning. You know, dad's got to preach in eight hours here. Give me some help. And they just would not listen. So it became a slow walk downstairs. By the time I got downstairs, they were in each other's room. I watched Levi duck and dodge and kind of quickly get back into his room away from Josh's. And I simply said this. Guys, I love you. My love for you is never ending. I am extremely pleased to be your dad. But if you don't go to sleep right now, <laughs> heads are going to roll and you're going to see the ugly side quickly. There are those times where, where just, you know, our lives, we kind of, you know, get lost in, in things. And, you know, there's fussing and there's fighting. And I just wanted to remind them that they're loved. But also, <laughs> things needed to change. 
For Mary, there was a recognition that she was loved by God and God had shown her amazing grace. But that doesn't mean she wasn't troubled by the announcement. Wouldn't you be? The word actually for trouble actually means sorrow and pain. Like there's almost some recognition on her part in this announcement that things are not going to be easy, just as parenting is never easy. But she came to realize that God was calling her to something that ultimately he would accomplish. The word actually could be translated agitated. She was agitated in a way, much like I was last night with my boys, agitated at what the resolution was going to be, what was going to come of this. But in the midst of her agitation, she was flooded ultimately with God's grace. She was agitated, wondering about how God would bring about this amazing birth. But isn't it true that grace should always surprise us? We should always wonder some, in some ways why God gifts us grace. We never earn it or deserve it. To be shown God's favor should trouble us in a way, trouble us away from our attempts at self-justification, lead us out of times of sorrow and pain in the midst of his grace. Just as Mary was graced or favored and it troubled her, the fact that you need God's grace and mercy in some ways should meet you in the midst of whatever troubles you. In Ephesians 4, it actually says, to each one, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. God has shown us grace. He's given us gifts. The ultimate gift of Jesus meets us at our point of trouble and should cause us to wonder. Wonder at how God loves us anyway in the midst of all our sin and struggles. Wondering why God would greet somebody like Mary this way and would greet us in the way he does through Jesus' coming. For God to come, for the angel to greet Mary, for us to ultimately know that one day we will be greeted face to face by our Lord and Savior and he will show us eternal grace should make us realize the depth of God's love for us and that there are others around us who are seeing and experiencing that love as well and that can encourage us. You see, Mary was encouraged through a shared experience that she had with her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth, in her old age, had not been able to have a child. And we're told that Zachariah was uh, greeted by the angel Gabriel as well and told that Elizabeth would have a child in her old age. And that would ultimately be John the Baptist, the forerunner for the Messiah. But I think Elizabeth's birth was also for Mary. Because she went and visited her cousin, we're told that John the Baptist literally leapt in Elizabeth's womb at the greeting and and greeted uh, Jesus in Mary's womb with great joy, knowing that the Savior was there. But it was also for Mary to know that she's not alone, that God was doing something uh, greater both in her but also in her relative, and that was something that they could celebrate together, even in the midst of the struggles that would come. For Mary, the questions and the doubt, the ridicule, the potential that her fiancé would consider leaving her, the reality that eventually her son would be rejected and murdered, all of those things were troubling circumstances. But God shared with her in those circumstances and sent others to support her and encourage her. And for us to experience the depths of God's love, to know that we are graced or favored, sometimes we need that support and encouragement from other people as well when we're not seeing it for ourselves. And sometimes the journey is about opening ourselves up to God's love 
in his call upon our life and our willingness to be his servant even when we don't understand how it's going to work out. Mary asked her questions. She would hear an answer from the angel. But ultimately, Mary would say that I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said and acknowledges her willingness to serve God and his purposes when she cannot yet know how those purposes are going to fully unfold. To express a willingness to obey and serve God even when we don't know how things are going to end up or exactly the pathway to Bethlehem or any other experience of God's love is one of the greatest acts of faith. Tim Keller in his book Hidden Christmas talks about Mary's faith saying Christian faith requires the commitment of our whole life. Mary moves from measured incredulity, how will this be, to simple acceptance, saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled to me. Receiving the depths and fullness of God's love means surrender and sacrifice, giving up our own plans and designs over how things are going to work, and allowing God to do his work. You see, what love came to do in the person of Jesus through Mary ultimately was to reveal what God could do, not revealing something about Mary or even something about us. It's about revealing the power of God, his desire and his ability to allow Mary to be with child and to give birth to a son even when she was a virgin, saying the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, God is caring about this, carrying his operation out. He is the one that is fulfilling his promises through the prophets, through the person of Mary, right there in Nazareth where he announced it, and Bethlehem where he would ultimately fulfill it. God literally comes and overshadows Mary, literally comes upon her to accomplish what he desires, to bring Emmanuel, God, with us into the world. And friends, we need the Holy Spirit to come upon us, for the power of God to overshadow us as well, to overshadow our darkness and our doubts, our fears and our worries and concerns. We need the power and presence of God to do an inside job in us, just as God was doing in Mary, to know that the love of God is ultimately wrapped in the person of Jesus, love with skin on it, Love that is meant to demonstrate how richly God loves us and how completely committed he is to us. The amazing reality is that because Jesus came in the form of a baby, because the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and the Most High was revealed to us, Jesus, who now rules and reigns in heaven, is a God who ultimately understands us. This is why the virgin birth is so important to the Christian faith. Jesus Christ, God's son, had to be free from the sinful nature passed on to all other human beings by Adam because Jesus lived as a man. Human beings know now that he fully understands our experiences and our struggles. I love that Joan Osborne song many years ago now talking about what if God was one of us? What if he was just on the bus like one of us? The reality is that he has become one of us. And he knows the depth of our difficulties. He can understand our feelings and our needs. And now has the ability to help as our most high God who reigns and rules in heaven. The fact that the virgin birth occurred enables us to see and know that God loves us 
in, its, in all his fullness. Luke certainly could have the same kind of doubts about the miraculous conception that anyone might have, and perhaps he even more so. As a doctor, he certainly knew how babies were born, and for him to be the one as a doctor to write down the record of the virgin birth and the immaculate conception speaks to the truth of it. Tradition also holds that Luke spent time with Mary, hearing her eyewitness testimony and experience, writing it down, recording what some think is fiction so that we could know the facts, that God was big enough and ultimately powerful enough to bring about a miracle, again, what C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle, in order to reveal who Jesus is to us. The passage would go on to say that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. His greatness is shown both in his shared nature with God as the second person of the Trinity, but his greatness is also revealed in what he does to show his love, his willingness to come to this earth, his willingness to be born in humble circumstances, his willingness to actually leave the throne of God for a time, to ultimately ascend it for all time. The, God, the Son of God was great and was called the Son of the Most High, but his identity was revealed in the way he lived, in his power, and in his love. The Lord God, we are told, will give him the throne of his father David. He will ultimately rule for all times. He's ruling and reigning now, as we'll look at in our series in Revelation in the winter. And that should give you great strength and encouragement in your faith. The one who loves you enough to come to this earth and to live and to die for you is now ruling and reigning for you, and you can turn to him at any time. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have never no end. Earthly kingdoms will come and go. And actually, after four generations, David's kingdom even did not have a consistent ruler on it until Jesus came and eventually ascended that throne. But the pathway to that throne was a cross. The shape of love took the form of our Savior's death for us. And the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In Mark's gospel, ultimately, first and foremost, at Jesus' death, when the centurion nearby said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Not just those on the inside, but those on the outside are able to see his sonship through the depth of his love expressed in his death, his love being poured out in sacrifice. You see, friends, if God is able to bring about a virgin birth, if he was able to accomplish the immaculate conception, then truly nothing is impossible with God. But even more, if God was able to raise his one and only son from death, from the grave, and give him new life, nothing is impossible with God in his ability to give you new life. His will be an eternal kingdom, not a temporary one. His kingdom, which has already dawned on this earth when Jesus came in his first coming, will ultimately have no end. What God promised to David, he has fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And he's done that not just for Israel, not just for Jerusalem, but for all people. His kingdom is not limited to Jacob or just one people group. His kingdom is not limited to any one nation his kingdom shall have its fulfillment both in heaven but also eventually on earth when there is a new heaven and a new earth. Friends, if this happened and it happened, there is nothing impossible with God. 
And as Mary humbly fulfilled God's will, our response to God is to open ourselves up to what might be perceived as impossible as well so that we might see what is truly possible with God. In the passage, we've seen Mary's faith in God, her humble servant-like attitude, and her personal knowledge of the character of God. And I wonder for you, which of those traits in Mary are you most drawn to or in need of? Is it your faith that needs to be increased or strengthened? Is it your humble servant-like attitude that needs to be stretched? I know for me, continuing to serve as a husband, a father, a pastor, community servant, coach, it takes humility because I don't always get it right and I often fall short. But like Mary, we can humbly offer ourselves to God and serve him Take on the attitude of a servant in humility, knowing that God in his power and in his perfection can use unlikely people like us and accomplish great things for God. Perhaps for you, it's growing in the personal knowledge of God's character. We're talking about the Bethlehem candle of love and how love came down and imbued or filled Mary fully and completely. But that love may feel elusive to you right now. There might be situations or circumstances in your life that have caused you to question God's character. If you're in that place, know that I've been there and everybody's been there. We all have life experiences that do not seem to be in accord with what we know of the character of God revealed in Scripture. But faith comes in knowing and trusting that the end of the story hasn't come yet for each one of us. And sometimes what's occurring in our lives can be a bad chapter in a very good book. And ultimately, the good book lets us know that God's not done with you. He's not through. He hasn't given up on history or humanity. He hasn't given up on this world. And ultimately, nothing is impossible with God. So in those spaces and places in your life today where you may need to embrace this teaching... I encourage you to hear these words anew and afresh in faith. Nothing is impossible with God. And the God of the possible has done everything necessary to demonstrate his love for you. Where in the light of our own sin and shame should we be? We should be out in the darkness and in the cold. But instead, Jesus was born in the cold, dark stable in order to draw us into the warmth of life and light and God's love. The one who on the cross would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is the one who has ultimately revealed God's love to you in such a way that you can see and know and experience. That ultimately, you are not alone. That there is a God who cares for you, who sits on the throne of heaven. And he can ultimately comfort you and strengthen you and watch over you. And ultimately bring you through whatever circumstances you face today. Mary's journey was hardly easy, and I'm sure yours has not been either. But the good news of the gospel is that the God of love seeks to intersect us wherever we are on our journey and to get us to our own places of Bethlehem, of worship and wonder and awe at our Savior's birth. My hope for you this Christmas season is that is your experience and your reality, that you know the depth of God's love for you, how wide and long and high and deep the love of God is for you. And that is a love that ultimately will never let you go. Amen? Amen. I fear it doesn't stand a chance.
Give God a shout of praise this morning. 